Welcome to Questonia, the podcast about Estonian news and culture. I'm Stuart Garlick, and this is Maris Helrand. Um, Maris, it's been quite a week. Um, obviously, the big news story is um, your running of uh, the local newspaper in Humar. So, <laughs> briefly, maybe you'd like to tell us how that's going. Uh, hello. Um, yeah, that's going really well. We are having uh, uh, meetings every few days to put together the grand fantastic summer issue that's going to be uh, published every Friday from next week in fact <laughs> no but it's great fun yes and uh, we'd been planning this episode of the podcast for some time because uh, in the last season we didn't get a chance to talk about the Estonian forests we've spoken about the environment but not the forests and so uh, Maris has got uh, Stephen Kureso who uh, is the uh, representative of the Estonian Wildlife Fund. Uh, uh, come on and talk to us. It's it's obviously a really important issue. I'd argue, I think we'd argue, it's one, it's one of the most important issues. But uh, as as always happens, you get your teeth into, into an important issue and you think you've nailed it. And then, as, as always happens in Estonia, the government collapses. So... Uh, Last Friday, Kaya Kalas, the uh, Prime Minister, decided to uh, dismiss the ministers from the Centre Party, Keskerikond, um, uh, due to uh, what she felt was a fundamental discord in government. Um, Maurice, although this was over um, a childcare benefits bill, which the Centre Party had proposed, um, it, it wasn't really, was it? No, I guess it wasn't. I am... Um... In fact, um, really, from the start of last week, people started telling me, "Oh, you need to uh, uh, get your uh, posters out for the for the street protests again because the government is going to collapse and uh, the far right will come back to power." So Friday was by uh, by no means a surprise. And also, what uh, the last rule that broke the camel's back in that case was. Uh, Probably the uh, the bill uh, on uh, uh, elementary education that the government, including reform and centre party, had agreed upon, and then in the parliament, centre party suddenly, together with ECRA, voted against it. This was a, this was about uh, Estonian language education in kindergarten level. So uh, that was a very uh, I think a very upsetting and disappointing situation. So really to blame Kaya Gallas on dissolving the government is a bit uh, um, unfair because uh, if one of the coalition partners already on two occasions votes against the government, uh, against the government then it's not uh, her who broke the government. Yeah, and um, I should point out because you you know um, we sometimes get accused of this, uh, both of us. Uh, neither of us are Reform Party fanboys or girls, and we're, we're certainly not Kaya Kalas fanboys or girls. But uh, the, on on the other side, on on the side of Yuri Ratas and the Centre Party and his allies, there seems to be an element of uh, well, what what someone on Twitter described as uh, taking the country for an idiot. In that, uh, for example, uh, Tanel Keek, who is uh, who was health minister and is Yuri Ratas' closest friend and ally in, in the Centre Party, uh, came, came on the news last week to say that the reason he had decided, or the party had decided to now oppose this primary education, pre-primary education bill uh, was because they hadn't read it properly and now they see there are problems with it. I, I'm translating loosely, but that was the that was the gist of it. Um do they do they assume that it doesn't matter what the public thinks, or do they assume that the public isn't going to care very much because they've been lulled into apathy by uh, by by everything else that they've done? But in, in the current situation, I think they just don't care. It's not. It's uh, uh, getting uh, this this combination for the centre party is comes a sort of a lot out of desperation because really, I mean, Gargalas wasn't handling uh, many. Uh, domestic policy issues very well, like be it the COVID crisis or be it, be it the energy crisis at the beginning of the year. But where she has found her voice remarkably well was the international arena uh, with the Ukraine war. And uh, that has also translated into um, 
growing support numbers domestically. And this is actually the main worry because uh, uh, as much as she and her party have gained support, Ratas and his party have lost support because obviously it's a difficult issue uh, when uh, a big chunk of your voters, of your base is Russian speaking. So uh, uh, finding a clear message for your voters is a challenge and uh, and um, it's clear he has lost uh, on popularity and uh, needs to do something. The way out is to be in power, to be in, gov- in the government and uh, be able to uh, spread out helicopter money. That's that's the way, because we will have elections next year in March. So that uh, from now until then, it gives him nine months where he can borrow and uh, bust the budget and start uh, just handing out cash to people to buy votes effectively. Yeah, there's there's a double edged sword here in that, uh, yes, the next 10 months will be potentially the hardest 10 months to govern uh, the country in that we're probably going to get, uh, well, potentially going to get another wave of COVID. Um, we are, um, as as probably will the rest of Europe, um, we're, we're definitely going to get an energy crisis again in the winter, except that this time it won't hit in January, it'll probably hit in November or December. And um, it's... And uh, we're definitely going to get uh, an escalation of the war in Ukraine. So they're going to have to, the inflation. They're going to have a lot to deal yeah. with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, infl- and inflation, and they're going to have a lot to deal with. Um, so, and and th- this this is potentially the one silver lining. They 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 may go into the parliamentary elections as the most unpopular government in living memory. Um, of course, Ratas doesn't care about this. He knows that he needs the incumbency to win the election anyway. So this is this is kind of uh, the desperate Hail Mary pass, isn't it? Exactly. But- that's his last shot. I think that's how he con- he perceives it. But, uh, but the, the other- I don't see a winning outcome for him unless he really gets uh, uh, gets the country in in a very uh, overborrowed state fiscally and just hands out cash. The other side of the sword, of course, is that um, uh, uh, Ekra, who are not known for their restraint, um, know that they only have potentially 10 months to uh, lay waste to uh, the economy and the constitution and to uh, meddle in public institutions, as they did with, for example, the ERR council last time. So uh, there are lots of ways in which um, an inexperienced group of uh, barely competent people can lay waste to the country in 10 months, aren't there? Definitely. But and uh, the security issues, uh, I guess, are the most worrying. Um because uh, clearly Ratas is being viewed internationally as um, the, uh, the, the party head that has or had an agreement with Putin's united Russia. <laughs> Never mind that he has uh, first said that this agreement is not in power and then denounced the agreement, etc. It, it's just something that sticks to him. So um, he's not going to get these uh, um, Economist covers and New York Times uh, headline interviews like Kaya does. uh, And uh, that's going to piss him off and make him angry. But let's but let's let's be fair on Yuri Ratas though. Um, um, the Centre Party did at least have the uh, backbone to tear up the collaboration agreement with United Russia uh, one week into the war in Ukraine. So uh, you know cl- clearly that clearly that's a progressive action. But m- more seriously. Yes, we were told when they came into government in 2016, uh, when the Ruivas government uh, fell, that uh, this that this was the new centre party that uh, they cleaned up their act, and we we were told many many times uh, on background that the agreement with United Russia was frozen and. It, it, there, there were lots of people briefing uh, in the press about how anyone who mentioned it clearly didn't understand Estonian politics enough and that kind of thing. And it sticks in my craw that this agreement that was frozen has now been annulled um, as of the 5th of March this year. You, how, how can a legally frozen agreement that doesn't exist in practice be annulled? I, I don't understand that. Well, that 
so there's the how do you call it the square of a circle <laughs> or something like that uh, yes uh, and and the party has also been convicted of um, several criminal offenses in the meantime so uh, there's not too much of the new center party to be seen but that doesn't matter at all there might be some surprises uh, uh, happening uh, we can't we can't uh, rule that out but uh, for for the moment um, as far as my information is and the analysis goes is that uh, the return of the uh, coalition center Ekreizama will happen within a few weeks Yes, and uh, whether it does or not, uh, we will be doing a podcast uh, explaining the new government as as and when it comes in. And um, it's probably time to uh, mo- mobilise anyone who um, opposes anti-LGBTQ policy, who who um, opposes the uh, environmental destruction that uh, that um, c- certainly will come with greater fossil fuel production and. Um, j- just opposes the far right being in government. So uh, we we will, I think, in due course, be talking about groups that uh, people can take part in and support and join that uh, will uh, will will provide uh, uh, legal and peaceful opposition to that. Um, uh, and I would presume, Maris, uh, you'll be you'll be part of that as well, won't you? Really, still hope not, but I know that's wishful thinking. You can hear an extended version of this conversation over on our Patreon page. And uh, we are happy to talk to Sim Kuraso, head of a forest um, department at the Estonian Nature Fund. Sim, maybe you'd like to Sim Kuraso, maybe you'd like to uh, first of all introduce yourself and uh, your your role briefly, just so just for people who don't know you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my name is uh, Siim Kuraso and I work in Estonian Fund for Nature. Uh, I'm a member of executive committee and looking after uh, the forest program and the climate program in this organization. And I'm also directly involved in uh, forest advocacy, primarily on forest and climate side of things. Okay, and uh, now we have this um, situation that under the pretext of the war in Ukraine and um, the sanctions against Russia and Belarus, um, the forestry industry has uh, put enough pressure on the ministry so that the ministry um, or the minister more uh, has uh, agreed to increase the amount of um, timber cut in the Estonian forests. Uh, so what happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ministry or, or the minister more precisely is in control of uh, the logging volumes in state forests. And in Estonia generally, uh, roughly half of the forest is owned by state. Uh, and uh, they do not have a uh, direct control over what's happening in the private forest. Uh, but the state forest is managed according to a plan which uh, somewhat considers uh, uh, the medium long term continuity of, of forest resources. And, uh, and uh, these calculations are done by the forest management uh, of state forest, but uh, it's approved or changed by the minister every year, looking ahead for five years. So the last minister, or one but last minister, as uh, in today, on his uh, last day in the office before resigning, uh, actually... Uh, went against the, the advice from the officials and uh, decreased the area for clear cutting or final felling. 
Uh, not that drastically, actually. <laughs> it was 13% uh, percent, uh, from the previous year. <clears throat> and the uh, last minister... Sorry, sorry just to, to uh, clarify. So this was done in Smerdotar, and this happened yeah. in the autumn of 2021 on his last day exactly. of office. So uh, I think uh, the environmental organizations and uh, probably yourself were quite surprised by this uh, decision because it was some, somewhat out of character. The ministry and the ministers have been considered quite uh, pro-industry until then. Yeah, it was. I, I do agree. <laughs> it was uh, a positive surprise, although we consider much more reduction is uh, needed. Uh, but it was a surprise also in a sense that Tennis uh, Mölder was quite uh, unaccessible for NGOs. He didn't have any NGO meetings during his uh, time in the office and, and we had no understanding what he is even planning to do or so. But uh, at least the, the government uh, and the coalition agreement uh, between two parties stated that uh, reduction needs to happen for ecological reasons. So somewhat he was uh, fulfilling the coalition agreement. I'd, I'd like to ask, um, because the, the some figures are disputed, and in fact some facts are disputed as well, um, a couple of things that are disputed. Uh, one is, um, it, it used to be thought that Estonia was covered by 50% forest on its uh, surface area, and um, uh, some um, anti-deforestation activists um, have claimed that it's close to 30. That's that's being disputed by uh, by by forest uh, land landowners and also by uh, people involved in the logging industry. Um, and something else that's actually disputed is the idea that um, the volume coming in from Russia is uh, um, is uh, is is being threatened or in, is indeed reducing in any um, uh, reasonable manner. It it's, it seems some people are suggesting that this is more of a smokescreen to increase the logging volume and that the logging volume would have been would have increased anyway. Um, what are your thoughts on those two things? Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't necessarily dispute the uh, forest uh, land uh, like area it covers uh, on the basis of the, uh, how we at the moment uh, define it but uh, I think where the conflict comes is because uh, what we do consider to be forest in the statistics is not something people would actually consider forest on their understanding of what forest is. And to, to declare that the area is forest, you need to have uh, trees that are 130 centimeters uh, high. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, and you have to have uh, eight of them per, let me say, uh, yeah, hundred square meters. <laughs> so, so this is uh, this is not the forest for for a uh, common people. This is just uh, open land with few very small trees. <laughs> and and what is factually true actually that there are there is uh, uh, less and less uh, timber in Estonian forest in recent years the, the forest uh, stock has fallen so our forests in average are younger they have less uh, big trees on them and and this is something I, I think comes out from the statistics, but also people experience it. So that's, uh, I think, the root of the conflict uh, is slightly in the definition of what we consider forest. 
can, if we can return to the events this uh, spring, uh, the war started, Russia attacked Ukraine. One of the areas where sanctions were uh, declared was import of um, timber and timber products from Russia and the Belarus. And uh, that was, of course, a big uh, uh, starting shot for the industry to um, come forward and uh, and uh, ask for more uh, clear-cutting permissions because they are deprived of their raw materials. Um, I remember you were quite uh, positively surprised by Savizar's first reaction um, on that demand. Um, can you walk us through that? Yeah, yeah, I can, <laughs> surely. Uh, but what I would uh, maybe also point out is that the forest industry has asked for easing of environmental measures in forestry with uh, relation to everything <laughs> lately. It, it was the same ask was presented when COVID started. It's the same whatever happens. Uh, so uh, it seems like more logging would actually help with anything. <laughs> so every pretext not... is good enough. <laughs> every pretext is good enough. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> yes, they also pointed out that uh, uh, imports uh, falling from uh, Russia and Belarus and uh, and they they claim that the stocks are empty and and it will have a enormous effect on the industry if uh, they don't have access to the raw material which now has turned out to be not true because the import of russian wood continues in the fairly same amounts as it was last year uh, and uh, it's likely that the, the sanctions will actually kick in, in in this trade as well, but they haven't so far. Um, un under the new um, proposed amendments to the Forest Act, uh, the the reduction in uh, what what they what they call regenerative felling, which maybe you can explain in a minute. Uh, it, it was taken from 13% to uh, 4% under the most recent minister, Erki Savisar, who, of course, has uh, been uh, dismissed uh, last week. Um, so w what, do, what does that mean practically for the forest? And maybe you can explain why people should care and why it's damaging for the environment to change the amount of regenerative felling that must be reduced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, regenerative uh, felling, or it's called also final felling, uh, uh, and in practice it nearly always means clear cuts. There are other methods that uh, are done slightly differently, but the end result uh, is still nearly the same always. Uh, and it's a practice uh, very typical for, for clear cut based forest management uh, where you have uh, even aged uh, fairly monocultural stands that uh, the trees grow together uh, 60 70 80 years and then they are fell and and new forest is regenerated by this so the clear cut clearly is good for the young trees for the growing conditions uh, so i i don't doubt it in purely on on basis of how to maximize your uh, timber outcome it's a good technique <laughs> or you can't argue it works well uh, but the problem with it is that uh, firstly uh, we see a lot of uh, biodiversity concerns around forests and because our logging rates have gone up uh, we see uh, bird numbers uh, dropping both the rare ones and the common ones we see 
endangered species uh, the status uh, that, that advantages species that are related to the forest and their status is actually uh, going towards being more endangered or, or completely wiped out of Estonian forest and uh, <clears throat> you have to understand that uh, forests are the most biodiverse ecosystems in Estonia because we are in a forest region and, and our nature has adapted to to these conditions and and many of the forest species are very sensitive to clear cutting and and could not uh, occupy uh, like clear cuts or, or very young stands so it clearly has an impact on on biodiversity it also has an impact on on climate because clear cut based uh, forest management has turned our forests overall to the source of uh, carbon emissions rather than being a sink. One of the, one of the problems when discussing this with uh, with with people who aren't experts such as you are is that uh, you, you end up getting into a sort of a philosophical debate on what sort of forest needs to be cut down. I, I've I've had these recently, and um, it's it's usually with people who are um, small small uh, small forest holders and um, feel that there is already too much regulation. Um, and f- philosophically, it's it's interesting because. Is maybe part of the problem with opposing this plan that um, forestry is one of the most uh, democratic things in terms of ownership in that a lot of Estonians actually own forest. And most Estonians, I think, instinctively oppose oppose over-regulation or any form of nanny state. So... Is is the problem actually that uh, there there are too there are too many small time lobbyists as well as the logging industry who who are saying um, no no we we need to do more we need to make more money we need to do this while we can sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it might be, but what we've also learned from these experiences when uh, when the ask was presented. Uh, to the minister to actually increase the logging volume in state forest, which is a public forest, <laughs> it's owned by everybody. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we commissioned a poll to find out what people think about it. And the, the big majority actually said that it should be the opposite. It should be reduced. And some 20% said it should remain the same and 3% only agreed. Uh, but what regards to the forest uh, regulations, I think uh, uh, it is a tricky issue in a way because we have so many political uh, uh, like incentives that actually incentivize uh, wood use like uh, take bioenergy or any bioeconomy issues so there is a great demand uh, incentivized politically for use in timber at the same time uh, there is not enough contrabalance that uh, the ecological values of the forest are, are well protected uh, like uh, biodiversity measures or climate measures and uh, if you have this balance in the policy that uh, incentivize only logging and uh, uh, and we don't uh, incentivize uh, forest protection at all then it's a disaster for environment but uh, I do agree that these uh, contrabalance ones should not only be rules and regulations, but there must be some elements that forest owners actually could feel good about what they do if they are not clear cutting or, <laughs> or just selling the timber. Yes, there are a few things uh, I might add. The incentives are very... Uh very strong and it's not polit- just political it's uh, hard cash i mean 
and that's due to EU regulations because the EU considers uh, uh, biofuel or uh, wood, wooden pellets as bio uh, and sustainable renewable energy and pays uh, heavy subsidies on that. So it's not that the market is regulating it, it's the EU is sub that is subsidizing this. This is a great financial incentive. What wonders me, and um, I, I mean, in a way, I can empathize with uh, when I visited this um, tim timber houses factory and saw all these people working there. It is jobs. It is the, these are good, valuable jobs. Um, so, and one of the arguments of the industry is that uh, we we can't value biodiversity we ca uh, more than social um, uh, situation of the people. So all these people uh, won't have jobs if we only take care of the bugs and little plants in the forest. Um, how do you counter argue? <laughs> yeah, from a very rough environmentalist point of view, I would say there is no jobs in anywhere where there is no biodiversity. There is no jobs on Moon or Mars or, or anywhere else where biosphere functions. And and by compromising biodiversity, we we are in a trend of losing it all. We are maybe not in terms of Estonian forest. We are not too close to this point yet, but we should not play with it. But I understand uh, the concern and, and I would say the industry has a big challenge because uh, it has been providing a certain number of jobs over time and it has been rather stable. But because uh, we still expect the forestry and forest industry to provide a certain proportion of Estonian economy and uh, uh, income to the state budget and so on. We, we are used to having it around 10% or in exports, it's slightly bigger. Uh, while the economy itself is growing, so the forestry needs to keep up with uh, the overall expansion of economy. And it also needs to keep up with the uh, mechanization of the industry because it used to be much more uh, like hard uh, labor now there are machines and and so on so it's a big challenge and what they've done until now is they compensate it with volumes so they take more timber and make more products out of it in volume uh, and actually the, <coughs> the added value per cubic meter uh, has fallen uh, in last 12 uh, years. <laughs> and this needs to change because there is uh, no way we can keep up this kind of approach uh, for another decade even. I would say that we run into problems. But what I think is the solution is that we Let's say we have uh, quite a lot of jobs in building uh, houses and and they do well in the market. They, uh, they are much welcomed in other countries and uh, and so on. But until now, I would say much of it is because of uh, they are cheap. While we have an opportunity to add much more human components to these products, we use our creativity to make them not cheap, but make them desirable, good quality. And we can still have the jobs uh, instead of putting more wood into the houses, we, we make better houses that are really uh, trendy, if you like, and, and so on. So <clears throat> to, to bring about this change, I think uh, environmental NGOs are not the ones who can uh, lead it and teach the forest industry how to build 
good houses. We don't know how to do it ourselves. But I think actually <clears throat> touching the limits of uh, accessibility on raw materials is something that initiates these processes that actually could lead to to people still being happy, but but environment taken care of as well. So that's at least my view where the challenge lies. Yeah, to sum it up, I mean, um, added value is a, is a way to go, not to uh, not to increase the low value logging and export. And uh, clearly, um, this is always the easiest uh, way out. And that's why they uh, they always uh, push for that. And sadly, the minister has uh, fallen into this trap again. One topic I, I would be interested um, in your opinion on is there is a, a group of um, startup entrepreneurs who are actively buying up forests in order to leave it growing, to leave it uncut. Um, do you think this is a, uh, a way to go? Because when we look at the... I mean, Stuart, you mentioned that so many Estonians own forests and feel uh, sort of um, always uh, quite sens sensitive about all sorts of regulations. But in terms of uh, uh, area of privately owned forests, the, there are very, very many people who own very small bits. And then there are a few companies that own actually the absolute biggest majority of the forests. So these are like Swedish and Finnish uh, timber companies. That's private owners who don't give a shit about <laughs> Estonians' feelings, I'm sorry. So uh, uh, this clearly is not uh, about the logging rate in the, in the state-owned forest, but um, uh, what do you think about the initiative of uh, people like Ragnar Sais and and uh yuri kalyundi like. is the other one i think mm -hmm. yeah and there are a few others i i clearly welcome uh, uh, this kind of thinking that you can actually <clears throat> in certain places you can uh, by becoming an owner you can start to make decisions about a certain forest and, and prioritize ecological value. Uh, I still think that uh, political and market uh, uh, these uh, like initiatives are the greatest uh, threats and greatest possibilities. So I, I, I think these philanthropical uh, schemes have a limited the capacity in overall picture and and the issue we have to be very careful about when talking about these kind of initiatives is the offsetting so we don't uh, <clears throat> create uh, a, a false uh, like promise uh, globally like we, we say we can yeah, offset Estonian forests uh, or offset emissions or other damage by protecting Estonian forest because it doesn't add up. So that's always a, a danger of uh, having a bad offset scheme. <laughs> so uh, I clearly welcome mm -hmm. forest owners that do care about the ecological values of their forest. And but the, actually, the the deci decisive uh, role is with Franz Timmermans, who was uh, the EU vice president, who was here just a few weeks ago and was very upset about uh, uh, pushing Estonian uh, forests into um, British or Danish or Dutch uh, power plants. Um, do you think uh, this uh, visit and this, uh, this thing he said might, uh, will have consequences on the EU level? Mm -hmm. I think he he was referring to ongoing discussions in Europe over renewable energy directive, which is one of the things that's driving logging all over Europe and even abroad, like 
overseas. Uh, but uh, these files are actually uh, in hands of uh, member states. Uh, there are council negotiations happening right now and European Parliament. So Commission has presented its view already and now waits for feedback from these institutions. I hope uh, there will be change because there have been some hopeful signs like the European Parliament's Environmental Committee clearly presented uh, amendments to this directive that would uh, not consider forest biomass as a source of renewable energy anymore. But this yet needs to pass the, the plenary of European Parliament as well. And this needs to be negotiated with member states who clearly uh, do not want this to happen because it would jeopardize their policy too much. It's a earthquake to, to <laughs> European climate ambitions. But I would say uh, it's not worth of, uh, of uh, chasing uh, like climate goals with false solutions and, and say, yeah, we can't uh, achieve them because uh, uh, because uh, or we can't achieve them if we don't allow false solutions then it jeopardizes the, the whole thing I would say so I'm hopeful but yet to see um, a, a couple of things really I'm thinking about um, one one is that we, we need it's an issue of hearts and minds as well in that um, Estonians, uh, th there are academic studies saying that Estonians consider themselves forest people and have done for some time, and uh, that they're actively proud of having uh, so much uh, unspoilt forest. But and and also the narrative goes that part of the reason why Estonia's independence was restored was because of uh, you know a kind of final straw of public outrage over um, the Soviet Union planning to strip mine Estonia for phosphates. I think it was. Um, why isn't there public outrage over the increased? Um, amount of allowed industrial logging and the supposed custodians of our forests, which are the RMK, the uh, the, um, the Estonian uh, Forest Board, and also the the Environment Ministry, uh, seem to be okaying um, this uh, th this this continued, uh, as you said, damaging uh, logging. And um, so, do, do you think that they think either that? Um, they will uh, th 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 that this is not creating a problem for their children or if they do think it's creating a problem for their children do they hope to get it done before anyone notices so two questions really <laughs> yeah it's uh, <clears throat> as for public uh, outrage uh, because i work in this field i i, I somehow feel or, or view quite a lot of public outrage over this issue, uh, so I wouldn't necessarily agree <laughs> with you on that. But uh, but why <clears throat> does this not change policy? If I knew, I would work <laughs> on this already and 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 try to sort it out. But uh, I do agree that there is um, like forest uh, management and industry views are somehow really well represented in in Ministry of Environment and RMK and have been for a while. It's sometimes even amazing uh, how they play it out. And politically, I think uh, politicians still feel that the forest issues and the environmental issues broader sense are actually important to people, but they are not as important to be decisive uh, on uh, election day. And also, we haven't seen much of division between mainstream parties that some are more concerned on, on 
forests and other environmental issues are somewhat less and it's still a, somehow like a background issue and this creates an environment where uh, decisions are made that are clearly damaging to environment and they don't need to be justified uh, publicly that deeply and and i think as an environmental ngo one of our roles is to try to change it try to find the false uh, explanations and and shine light of them try to raise the, the questions and issues as much as possible politically publicly in every space that's possible it strikes me that one of the issues we're dealing with here is that uh, no 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 governing political party is willing to say people are going to have to take a hit to their lifestyles. So we we saw that with the with the energy crisis, the energy price increase in the winter. Um, people talked about subsidies. They talked about some sort of vague hand waving over we might have renewable energy someday, but they didn't ever talk about how people need to work on reducing their consumption and how builders need to uh, improve their energy certification and so on. On, that um, they, they just talked about how to keep normal life going and it seems like environmental policy is always the thing that goes on the back burner because of something else so it, it did because of covid when they approved more fossil fuel production and uh, and now it is because of the uh, war in ukraine and the sanctions on russia um what do you suggest that uh, the the media can do that activists can do to push environmental policy to the number one or number two on the agenda rather than the number five or six on the agenda where it is now yeah, I, I think uh, you hit the nail there <laughs> in a way that it's always uh, <clears throat> like background story of, uh, and it most clearly struck me when IPCC released its uh, latest uh, report, which was about uh, uh, um, I don't remember how it was exactly called, but it's it was about what is there yet to be done in order to uh, to maintain a livable climate for humanity <laughs> and what are the options and it was very striking it was in a very clear language and it said that the window of opportunity is still open but it's closing rapidly the time is getting very short and uh, Unluckily, this uh, fell in a, I don't know, second or third week of the war when it was so difficult to even grasp or understand what lies ahead for anybody here and elsewhere. And 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 uh, I I knew it was coming uh, and and I followed the. the press conference and it was striking the, the words that the secretary general in UN spoke where uh, they were really strong <laughs> in a way and and I was expecting this to make not make much media in Estonia because of the situation uh, and I was sad about it because it's uh, it's as serious as uh, it can be actually <laughs> the, the, and I was still quite surprised that it actually didn't make it into media but instead uh, there was a birthday of a celebrity who described what he does to feed his dogs <laughs> and he feeds them ducks and, <laughs> and stuff like that and she says, I, I do it because I can they enjoy eating duck meat, so, so uh, I think, uh, and I do take a lot of courage, uh, like uh, courage and and inspiration from young people who actually have started to educate themselves about these issues, environmental issues, and and they've been really powerful until COVID, especially. It's, to bring these issues to a public debate and policy sphere and 
uh, but since COVID, I think we've entered into very turbulent times uh, as such, and it's again a, a new, new situation that uh, requires somehow a new kind of approach to these questions. But I'm still hopeful that. Uh, society starts to pay much more uh, attention to environmental issues and they will come a number one topic for for societies and and politicians to discuss but if i had a golden key to to open the door for them i would already used it and <laughs> but i don't know what it is I guess that's as optimistic and happy as we can get on this topic at the moment. Thank you for uh, your expertise and for educating us on this. Sim uh, Curaso. By the way, uh, although you've cautioned against carbon offsetting and uh, and uh, you've asked us to uh, analyse the nature of it, if you do want to uh, contact the charity who are trying to buy up small bits of forest, then they are Coast Lotus, that is K-O-O-S-L-O-O-D-U-S uh, dot E-E. And uh, yeah, they do a good job. But uh, are there any other environmental charities that either of you would recommend? <sighs> Yeah, but definitely. Also, yeah, I encourage people to contact Cause Lotus. It's a, a nice uh, bunch of people who actually have considered all these uh, issues. Uh, I think fairly enough, uh, the ones that <laughs> that I pointed at. Uh, of course, there are environmental organizations that are more engaged in advocacy work. I would always. Uh, encouraged to donate to Ornithological Society, I also encourage and welcome people to either donate or volunteer for my own organization, Estonian Fund for Nature. We, we do have also an extensive uh, voluntary program uh, conservation works and and also oil spill response uh, trainings and so on so uh, yes i do encourage people to get involved practically and and uh, become donors volunteers and voices of environmental movement well thank you very much for joining us that's it for Questonia. If you'd like to follow us, then we are at QuestoniaPod on Twitter, and you can email us questoniapod at gmail.com as well. 